Prague was like they put bars in these old like fucked up buildings and they don't renovate them too much. Like they they renovate them just enough to put a bar in there. So you're walking around like there, and there's some rubble. There's like some broken broken walls. Maybe that's where Americans love for dive bars originated. Yeah. Uh, and I am fucking uh, fuck. All right. Hold on a second. I'm ju- I'm describing hungry. So. <laughs> Coming up on this episode, we're going to be talking about Binance donating a bunch of money, maybe to Binance. We're going to be talking about some more Binance delisting some stuff. We're going to be talking about Blockstream and more Blockstream. We're going to be talking about an analysis about Nano, Stellar, XRP, all kinds of coins. Roger Veer on a cruise with Charlie Lee, the government of South Korea endorsing crypto Prague. May have something going on. It's kind of cool. Bitfinex suspending fiat deposits and a rant about, well, it's based around Bittrex, but I won't spoil it. And then we got at least one mailbag question coming up on today's episode. Good morning, guys. Welcome to today's edition of the Crypto Basic Podcast. This is Friday flagship number 41 coming at you October the 12th, 2018. Joined with me today for this discussion, Brent Philbin. What's up? What's up? And Kareem, it's my day off, Baruke. Hello. Just a quick reminder for you guys, this is your first Friday flagship. This is our weekly discussion. We like to cover the news, the nonsense, and everything crypto related. So, gentlemen, are we ready to get started? Yes. This is how we do it. Binance is donating 100% of the fees to charity, Brent. Ah. We forgot to tell you, the whole podcast will be in song form. (laughs) In acapella for one hour. (laughs) Oh, God. Like, if there was any correlation between, like, uh, audio waves doing damage to people, that would be it right there. I don't know. Acapella sounds pretty dope. All right. Well, he's referred to mine. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Mine was, mine was great. He just needs a rhythm. Go ahead, Brent. Go. Boom, 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 boom. All right. You didn't tell us about Binance or what? Everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. All right. We're talking about Binance. Uh, they are now donating 100% of the listing fees that they totally were not taking before to charity. I know there's different times when they've come out and said that they don't take listing fees. So I remember knowing that they take listing fees, and I didn't know that they come out and said they don't take listing fees. So we looked into this when we were doing the R cryptocurrency thing on Tuesday, and it turns out what they do is when you apply to be a coin on Binance, you also have to offer a certain amount of your coins to them as part of your application process. And then if it's enough, they'll take you. And if it's not, they won't. So it's it was it's like, like uh, protection. You see, we wouldn't want anything to happen to your project. So <laughs> you put a little protection money in your proposal. Give it all to me. Yeah. Yep. So so they were totally not a bribe at all. And uh, they are now going to be being paid to charity. A couple of people were saying that it's going to be a Binance charity. I'm not sure, but... If it is actually going to charity, that's a good thing. There's a lot of cool, good charity things that come over the course of cryptocurrency. Brett, you didn't get the breaking announcement of the of the BNC coin being released. Oh, 
what? Oh, the <laughs> the Binance something charity. Yeah. Charity. Uh, also, Kareem, remember how you said you need to pay us the, the protection money? You, you yeah. said that a little bit ago. Yes. Yeah. Well, some coins apparently were a little bit late on their payment because Binance is delisting some of the coins that originally paid a, paid them a bribe. They are delisting Chatcoin, Economy, Triggers, and Bytecoin. Now, I don't know a lot about these coins. I assume Triggers has something to do with uh, social justice. Economy, <laughs> I, I'm not really sure. Chatcoin is totally like, you know, where you go to like hook up. And, uh, and Bytecoin, interestingly, uh, now, we, I've always known that it was like a scam coin, right? Like off the top of my head. <clears throat> but I did a little baseline research based on, uh, based on something SGP posted in the, uh, in the Discord chat on Tuesday. I'm going to sum it up real quick. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but basically what Bitcoin did was they used the crypto node algorithm, which is what is behind Monero and pretended like they invented it by, making like white papers and signing them with signatures that they forged in the past. So they like pretended to be uh like the ones who originally came up with it used like Adobe to sign it. But like they also like had a com- clearly a computer that like wasn't connected to the Internet and it was getting a timestamp in a weird way. But they also referenced things in the white papers that hadn't been released until a year after they were signed. And just so people know, what made them a scam to the community was by the time they released, they had already secretly pre-mined eighty-three like percent of it. Of blocks, yeah, eighty-three percent of the blocks had already been mined. They there said, like, they said, oh, we've been being used for two years on the dark web. Uh, uh, we're totally like known on the dark web. Not yeah. a single person, drug dealer, pedophile, anybody could come up with ever using Bitcoin before when it was released. So <laughs> that's that's basically what it was. Giant pre-mine coin that was able to like uh, get out there and I guess gain some non-zero amount of credibility. Uh, they, the other funny thing they did is they had a team of fake people, not pseudonyms. Not like the guy who created Monero. His his pseudonym was uh, Van Saberhagen. But they just like made people up and put them on their website. And they're like, yeah, it's us. And then people are like, these people aren't real. And they're like, oh, whoops. And then took them down. <laughs> so that's that's the quick the quick history of the, the Bitcoin scam. Please do not invest in Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, and Brent, it's worth uh, just adding that Binance did send out a listing. So there's... I want to I want to give both sides of it, right? Because we do have a skeptical view of it. They were taking what essentially amounts to bribes. A lot of these projects like Bitcoin, they should have already known they were scams. But on the flip side, here is what uh, what they're saying. They sent out a letter to people saying, you know, we conduct periodic reviews where we're going to evaluate um, whether or not the projects that are on their platform have a high standard of quality. And then they actually list out some of the parameters that they're judging by. Right. So for the sake of transparency, so they talk about whether or not the team uh, is committed to the project, which you both have shared an experience in the past that you invested in a coin where the main developer just walked out on the project. So that is a (laughs) relevant point. Uh, The development activity we've seen before in the past is there's GitHubs that have 
absolutely no activity, even though there might be a lot of activity on YouTube or on their blog or something, but there's no actual development. Whether or not there's good public communication, uh, whether or not there's stability in their network, uh, whether there's contracts are stable, and if there's any evidence of unethical conduct or fraud. So on the upside, it is good that Binance is using these metrics and isolating these four projects and saying, all right, you guys need to go. However, Bitcoin should have never been accepted in the first place. Right. And there's a good chance if there wasn't a not bribe associated with the proposal, then they might have not gotten in. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. If I remember Economy, I remember it being a reasonable project. So I I wonder what happened to them. To One of these projects, I don't know if it's Economy, but one of these projects is like – you remember that project where the developers were just like, hey, we're going to stop working on this and we're going to go to this? Like, that's what's going on with one of these. Oh, I, I know they do that a lot because they have a lot of incentive to start a new chain and get new coins for new ICOs and stuff like that. But I, I, Economy was the one that was like creating like little ETFs, I guess. Or you could like kind of follow different investors and like do exactly what they were doing. I don't really remember. I haven't looked into it. I just remember thinking, that's kind of weird. That one didn't seem like a scam to me originally. It may, it, it may be bad. I have no idea. That, that's something we would need to look into. But I got some personal experiences on this topic in smaller doses. Um, you know, I, I've been involved in some discords of some shit coins um, over the, <laughs> over the you know, months. And, and I kind of learned a little bit about more of the behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, I, this is why I've been very critical of a, of an exchange like Cryptopia because, you know, more than one scenario that I've just been a fly on the wall for where the company is, is giving its biased view of the story, but their biased view of the story is like Cryptopia is not willing to work with us. They're not willing to update these wallets. It's not, it's causing our chains to sync up incorrectly. It's just like, basic maintenance stuff that they're having issues with, you know, the exchange actually falling through with. Now, Binance and Cryptopia, that's apples and oranges. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But we have also have to understand that this is a full business arrangement between two businesses. And at this, you know, there's a lot of factors that could be involved. You know, it's probably monetarily driven, but doesn't necessarily have to be. And this is such a new space with such a, you know, unique set of things going on that, um, you know, I want to be critical of this. And I'm, you know, I'm, I, I credited Binance for a unique solution to a problem that I'm not sure how they could have found a better solution for. So I credit them in that sense. But, what you know, is that like? the, the, you know, totally not a donation, you know, listing fee. Like, okay, well, you know that they're setting the framework for a solution to be to be implemented and you know obviously it's hard for me to say whether or not i think this is better or worse than before but i I think it's a small step forward and let's just see what happens uh so a couple things here one kareem i did not realize that the next segment was exactly what i was talking about in the previous one i was like damn he had a lot to contribute there he just like looked into this now it was the next uh, segment on the outline and then two uh, you want to talk about shady exchange bullshit did you we got we have like a, a a section in our discord called fucking scammers and we got a uh we got a, a screenshot of a legitimate email from yobit in exchange called the yobit pump and the 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 thing the uh promotion they're running is they're going to randomly pump 10 coins with 
one BTC or 10 BTC of volume each. I can't remember if it was 10 divided by 10 or if it was 100 divided by 10. And they're just going to buy 10 random coins and cause the volume to spike and the price to spike. And that was their promotion. This is just a tragedy on so many levels. Like the fact, right, let's go back to Walton Chain, uh, you know, giving a Twitter prize away to one of their employees. Like, like, wh- how do you prove randomness as an exchange in randomly buying a project? This is like pretty absurd. Yeah, I maybe they do have some provable random way, but like the idea that it's a they're literally just like, hey, we're going to – our promotion is a pump and dump. Woo! <laughs> what the fuck? And yeah. what's what's even the like – what's even the, the, the GTO strategy there? Like what's that? It, this is the exchange? Yes. This promotion? It, that's – it's a joke. An <laughs> absolute joke. What the GTO is is they understand that their clientele – it's a bunch of fucking moon boys and pump groups that all hear the word pump and get excited and want to go on Yobit and get involved in a pump and dump. No, no, no. All right. So, no, no. I'm, I'm taking the, the opposite view. And obviously, I absolutely wish that they did not offer this. I, I wish this was not a promotion. I think this is very unethical. This is not something that I think that they should do in any ways. But. Since this is the game that's played, I was actually just thinking about this last night. Well, since this is the game that's being played, is there any way to to utilize this or benefit from this? And the one thing that I kept thinking of is that it's going to be so easy for there to be one Bitcoin worth of volume on sell orders, like not very high above the selling price. So, like, you know, I was trying I was thinking, like, okay, if I were. If I happen to have coins on this exchange, would I just place some sell orders that were high or what would I do? And the only thing I kept thinking of is this, I just feel like the price will just keep getting or the the the, um, the the orders will just get fuller and fuller at a lower point above the normal sell price. I don't even know that it, it might not even move much. <laughs> I think that trying to game the promotion is the bait. Because all they're trying to do is generate activity by saying that they're going to essentially splash the pot in 10 random spots. And it's trying to get you to be as randomly involved because you're kind of it, – it, it's attracting to that lottery style sense. But you, we have no idea which ones are going to pick, how it's going to go. Like it's it's a ridiculous promotion. It's not even something that you – And I'm sure to- nobody in their back office knows either. It's right, random. Exactly. Well, that's my point also. Yeah. Like if – if I was if I had an exchange and I wanted to do anything along these lines, it would be more along the lines of like, okay, anybody who has a trade of any kind, if you sold, if you bought or whatever, you're entered into a drawing and then whatever. Maybe you get a random holding or like, you know, make it more I don't know. You know what I'm saying? This this it just seems so weird to say that you're gonna manipulate the market as part of your promotion. That you're gonna get in there and start like, There's no way that could be legal in like a U.S. stock market or anything like that. Like this is this, uh, this makes it now. I, I knew Yobit wasn't like a great exchange. A, how is this different than a stock buyback? Well, because oh, you the know, there's a stock buyback company. Yeah. The company has to announce it a certain amount of time beforehand. Is Apple saying we have extra we have extra money, so we're going to buy Apple shares? So everybody who owns Apple, your value is going to go up. This is like the New York Stock Exchange saying, "All right, everybody, we're going to pick five stocks and we're going to buy them at random." I'm trying. (laughs) It's absolutely ridiculous. It's an absolute clown show. I know. Not even in it. Like, what is he even? (laughs) 
I don't even understand what's happening right now. I know absolutely um, nothing anyway. else about Yobit other than like I think I downloaded or I don't know. I didn't download. I think I was on it one time to check Bitcoin fucking private's price or something, and I absolutely would never use them in the history of mankind strictly based on this promotion because whatever is going on behind the scenes there that made them think this is a good idea means that your money is not safe on there it is not a good exchange fuck yobit and if you're from yobit and you want to come on and talk to me and don't like what i just said to you bring it on bitch oh wow you know very threatening uh brent (laughs) (laughs) brent smash yeah (laughs) <laughs> and if you don't like you could get out <laughs> <laughs> alrighty guys looks like uh, Blockstream is up next Brent what's going on alright there's going to be a couple of little things about Blockstream today here's the first one the The Blockstream co-founder Mark Friedenbach now re- refresh me on, on who Blockstream is again Blockstream is the creator of Segregated Witness. They are the uh, creator of the Lightning Network. They are the company that has "quote unquote" gotten, con- gotten control of Bitcoin. Yes, like they're 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 part of the Bitcoin core developers. Like as more and more Segwit and Lightning Network adoption comes, it becomes more and more centralized around what Blockstream created. Um, and that is create with other companies, like for example, Lightning Network. Well, Lightning uh, Labs, was, yeah, is, is well, was part of Lightning multiple. Network. Stuff. No, we 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 covered this. There's, yeah, you know, uh, multiple. I, I think it's like three, but you know, anyway, Blockstream is like the boogeyman, kind of. Like, if you're a huge Bitcoin supporter, Blockstream is the best thing that ever happened to Bitcoin. If you are a conspiracy theorist or a Bitcoin Cash supporter, Blockstream is the boogeyman. So, like. I'm not sure where I stand on this. Obviously, Speak. one person. I'll tell you. <laughs> what? Sorry, real quick. You might not know where you stand on this because you're creating such a ridiculous dichotomy that doesn't need to be so extreme. R- well, you know what I mean. So <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, but boogeyman though. Boogeyman. Uh, they have d- the Lightning Network appears to be very good for uh for Bitcoin so far. Segwit has been good for it, so they've created things that are good scaling solutions without just increasing the block size. Um, anyway, this is Mark Freidenbach, and he has announced that there's a block size increase possible without a hard fork. So basically, they're they're saying that they can create something similar to Segwit, where you can either adopt it or not adopt it. And you can still interact with all the wallets now, or all the uh, addresses. A hard fork requires every node to upgrade their software to the new to the new chain to the new hard fork software. And something like a, a soft fork like Segwit lets you either choose to use it or not use it. If you don't use it, you still function slow and on higher fees. If you do use it, you function faster, and you get to use the chain more closely related to original Satoshi vision. Um, so, so that they're completely backwards compatible. You can keep doing it. Um, they think that they can do a few different things with what are called forward blocks. So he's calling this technology or this uh, concept forward blocks. They think they can increase the block size without requiring a hard fork. They think that they can change the proof of work algorithm to brick ASICs without requiring a hard fork. They think that they can implement sharding without requiring a hard fork. Um, 
it's not something that's going to actually happen yet. This was just like a, he gave a talk, he explained it, how it worked. Um, and he's going to test it on the very not centralized, uh, coin called Frycoin, which is the first four letters of his last name followed by coin. So <laughs> I imagine that is, uh, his, it is <laughs> like, it's a pet I, project. Uh, yeah, a pet. It's a little pet project. I don't know. I never heard of it before. I wonder what its market cap is. Um, and, uh, and somewhat related since we're talking about Segwit, Segwit recently broke 50% of the payment volume on, on Bitcoin. So they, uh, that's that was a milestone for them to be more than half of the transactions that are going through. All right, so I'm not blaming you on this one, and there's a good chance I'm wrong, but I saw something also on Reddit that had talked about it being 50%. And then I went to the tracker, and there was no bro- no breaking 50%, which made me think that it was an aberration, and somebody had posted on Reddit. And now that I saw what you put in here, I Googled it, and I see a couple of articles like from a couple of like crypto sites that say, oh, Segway broke 50%. But when I go to the dot info charts, I don't see a spike over 50. Just for the record, it's hmm. like I've only seen it at like 48 because um, I wanted to cover that. I, I remember I saw it in our cryptocurrency and I wanted to be like, oh, it broke 50. And then this made me well, second guess whether. I was so maybe it didn't break 50. Maybe uh, Segwit uh, biased companies Listen, guys, say it did. To deliver the facts. That I, I'm I'm glad you did that baseline research. I threw it in as like just this extra thing that I saw. I'm like, right. that wasn't worth covering. But I since I was talking about Segwit, I threw it in there. All right, so Segwit possibly uh, contemptuous, contentiously may or may not have broken fifty percent of the transaction uh, volume. Not that it was the main point that you were making with this right. story, anyway. Um, so Brent, did you stumble when you were reading on this? Um, I haven't looked into it, but there seemed to be a side of the community that was implying that this was a dangerous road to go down on because basically they could start doing development changes without the approval of the community, right? Because it didn't require a hard fork. But the way you described it, it seemed more really like a positive, honestly, like if as long as you can continue to interact. So I don't know. Did you get into that at all? Or well, no? they it, they can put this out there as a development upgrade without any approval of the community. Now, it, the community has to decide whether they're going to adopt it and use it right. on their nodes. But yeah, they can they can put it out without any approval, without any New York agreement, whatever they want to come up with, they can they can roll it out there. So that's definitely a thought of of it being uh like a bad thing. You know, you want consensus on this kind of stuff. But at the same time, if one node starts running it and that node is just running more efficiently than every other node and it's doing better, right. more people will adopt it and then Maybe that's slightly better than a full-blown hard fork that's contentious because the community is very, very, you know, divided and may not have what it needs to to make a hard fork successful. We don't want Bitcoin Cash 2.0, you know. Yeah. No, I'll, and to be honest with you, I, I agree with you. I, I think that this is better. And the only thing that came to mind that made me kind of not second guess, but like. I wonder if if you if we had enough of these. I just don't have the developmental knowledge. But if let's say we had enough soft forks from Segwit to, to Lightning, and then you start making all these additional changes that change the block size, and it's like everything is optional. But as more and more time goes on, and there's more layers, does it come to a point where like there are like when you get to the separate edges of the network, some people are so far behind and some people are so far ahead in soft forks that they can't even interact? Or is that something that would be like? At each step, I'm sure that there, 
that would be part of the developmental process, right? Yeah. Making sure that it can still enjoy. Backwards compatibility was the word that was thrown around a lot in uh, in the article I was reading about this. So I imagine the forefront thing is no matter how many of these random ass upgrades they put out there, that everyone will be able to interact is the primary thing that matters. So quick side note, backwards compatibility is what I asked Santa to give me on PlayStation every year since I was like, since PlayStation <laughs> 2 came out. But apparently Sony doesn't listen to Santa Claus because they're Japanese. So One of them was. I think PlayStation 2 no, no, no. was for one or something. Oh, I, I think you might be right. But then after three, it was like, no. Yeah. Which sucks because there's some awesome old games. Anyway. All right. That's it. That's all I got on Blockstream for now. Yeah, it almost feels like, you know, as we as we discuss Bitcoin, like, you know, Kareem speaks of it as a living, breathing thing. Like this is part of its evolution, man. Like I think I think it's really interesting what you brought up about how there's going to be, you know, so many optional features. But I think there comes a point where they're not optional anymore and they start becoming, you know, unfortunately necessary. And like, yeah, Blockstream probably has full control right now and and i don't see you know if, if they start developing solutions that keep adding themselves on to bitcoin then it, they're just going to essentially have full control of what it becomes yeah i mean depends i mean that's where a lot of this contention has value because it makes bitcoin resilient you know like there's maybe there's an argument to be made a company like blockstream will get away which is with as much as they can but luckily Control of the network is hard fought also by a group of people with opposite interests that know a lot. And then these are some of the warnings when some of these things come out that people can say, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second. If you guys go down this road, it could lead to this, this, this. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a testament to the strength of Bitcoin. It's a very like evolutionary process, which is going to yield the most sophisticated and resilient results, you know? Definitely exciting. Definitely something we will cover, but yet not participate in. <laughs> all right guys we have another list to go over with some top hits on it let's discuss their thoughts kareem what do you think <laughs> hold on i want to say i want to give a shout out to kareem for the title of this and i was trying to do the sizzle reel at the beginning analysis reveals nano stellar xrp eos neo and iota blank it just reveals them like oh they're there <laughs> so, yeah. so i want to know what this means all right here's what it means so there is a website called bitcoinkit.com so i looked into bitcoinkit.com because kits like kit yeah like okay a kit. not like a kid kit. no not bitcoin kid stop kidding yourself okay not crypto nick bitcoin got it kit. <laughs> all right so i looked a little bit into their bias because this list is about how fast some of these cryptocurrencies are in to deposit to in an exchange um I was trying to figure out like who owns them or what their motivation is. It seemed to be fairly independent, like just like some people doing some blogs. They make money off of ads. I looked at some of the articles to see if there's any extreme bias or anything like that. I, I didn't catch anything in particular, but I only looked for a few minutes. Anyway, this is what they found. The fastest currencies. Nano was number one at three seconds uh, deposit time. Stellar was number two at five seconds. Icon, six seconds. Skycoin. And Ripple were at 10 seconds. You get a big drop off next with EOS at 20 seconds. Lisk's 30. And then you have another big drop off where it goes into Neo and Gas at a minute 40. And IOTA is at two minutes. And then the list goes. Wow. Up. IOTA at two minutes is surprising. They were supposed it, to be really fast. And they're, but they technically are. I mean, they're one of the top 10. That's right? true. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I just like tor- if you presented this without the information in front of me, I would have thought Icon or I'm sorry, uh, Iota was definitely faster than Icon. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess I don't have any experience with Icon, so I didn't have a reference point. Nano is definitely pretty far and above everything else, and I mean Stellar too. Uh, I thought Neo was extremely fast, but here it's a minute forty, which is really not that long, but in comparison to these. But I got to tell you guys what really threw me off the most about this list and really surprised me. And I'm going to give you the link so that you guys can look at this yourselves. It's the bottom of the list, not the top of the list. So we were at two minutes with Neo and all that stuff, right? When you get to seven minutes and 30 seconds, it's a bunch of coins are there. And they all seem to have 15 second block times and they need 30 confirmations. So it seems like seven minutes and 30 seconds is the fact that a lot of blockchains have 15 second blocks. Those are all ERC 20 tokens. Then there you go. So um, ERC 20, there you go. That would make sense. So you drop all the- ETC is on that list too. Yeah. 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 ETC is on there. Zero X, Walton, Wings. Then you got 10 minutes for Litecoin. Tether, you're 20 minutes. You get to the bottom. Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin are at the bottom in like 20 minutes each. Tether, 20 minutes. Dash, 25 minutes. Zcash, 30 Sidecoin, 58 minutes. Wow. Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin Gold, well, who cares? Komodo, <laughs> two hours. Zencash, four hours. Bitcoin, 16 hours. Well, those are okay. So here's what I'll, here's what I'll say about those just from experience. Komodo does not take that long. It may take that long to, uh, to confirm itself on the Bitcoin blockchain because they only back up their transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain every so often. But in the their own Komodo platform, it goes much faster than that. And also, Zen, we know from yeah. experience, is almost instant when we send it. Yeah, it doesn't take that. So what are they talking about here? Now, they say two minutes and 30 seconds block time with 100 confirmations. What exchange requires 100 confirmations? That almost makes me think that they have a... Uh, you know how some allow you a spectrum of security? I don't remember mm-hmm. if Sen asked this, but you can set how many confirmations you want on some blockchains. Each exchange has their own set of confirmations. It's part of the deposit screen. It'll it'll tell you how many confirmations on each coin it needs. I do so, remember sure every exchange is different. I remember P Stu telling us never to send him the money from an exchange again. Remember when we uh when we set up that node? Um, we, basically we, we have a node for, for, um, Zen and we had used a member of the community that we paid to set up the node for us. And we sent the money that he wanted, which is like six bucks or something from in Zen from an exchange. And it took so long to confirm these like, yo, just have that in a wallet next time. (laughs) So, so this is really about the exchanges. That makes a lot more sense because again, this number of confirmations, it's requiring a hundred confirmations for Zen. And it's requiring well, one confirmation for you. Okay, EOS. so here's another thought of mine. Um, <laughs> isn't Zen a, or Horizon a, a hybrid proof of work and proof of stake? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe to get both confirmations to the exchanges of uh, desired level of confirmations could be longer than normal. Maybe. And and look, again, you know, we're fans of Zen, but maybe it's also possible that the exchanges after what happened <laughs> – Temporary. Oh yeah, that makes perfect and sense because they, they got attacked. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, screw that. We're gonna, you need to get that, past. No, that's that is exactly how. Window. No, 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 no. Remember when Rob came on and discussed the fifty-one percent attack? He said the exchanges have a ton of confirmations to prevent this. He specifically said this. Okay. 
Well, anyway. I will say on this list, actually, just before we change, yeah. on the bottom, the one that stood out to me the most that we barely discussed was Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. Yeah. At 20 minutes. So, like, man, yeah, like I would consider, I like, like, I, I have not used Bitcoin Cash for this reason, but I've considered using Bitcoin Cash over Litecoin when I've moved exchanges from exchange to exchange in the expectation it would be much faster than 20 minutes. This is interesting, though, also because, I mean, does that 20 minutes for Bitcoin, does that include uh, Lightning? I'm throwing a lot of red flags on this article. No, Mike, 100%. Why do you think that I had to go into who these people are? Because seeing so many big names at the bottom and everything, I just wanted to make sure, like, okay, so... And also, like, as a man of research, like, how many tests were these? Oh, yeah, they don't... They don't Did he do, about. like, three of the ERC-20s? And then, like, oh, well, all the ERC-20s are seven minutes and 30 seconds. And, like, I, I don't know, well, like... According, most proof-of-work coins are automatically updated hourly. Other coins are added and updated manually. In these scenarios, the block time is based on a coin's white paper and sites like CoinGecko. And if you want more information on this process, we posted a video here. For nine ninety nine. I'd also like to point out that of the... Uh, of the top 10 fastest coins, four of them were in my five coin portfolio. The only one that wasn't right. was you're, Bitcoin you're private. Okay. In that case, I would also like to point out. <laughs> that, that was nobody underrated. In the, nobody in the history has bragged so much about losing. Do you guys remember when like John Elway was like, I just like to point out uh, that I, I lost the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning brags about the Super Bowls that he lost, that he lost the AFC championship. So let's take a minute to remind everybody that Brent lost the portfolio contest and that he's And Kareem thinks Peyton Manning still plays the NFL. Bragging about it. Shame on you, Brent. All right. We done with your <laughs> stupid rant? I don't think I was ranting. Are you done with your stupid brags? <laughs> it was an interesting Brent, fact. I don't see Bitcoin private on there. It's yeah, not. It's Bitcoin private. We're talking about them later. Brent, what's your best pick that you I promise you Bitcoin Private will come up in this episode. Uh, yeah. In the meantime, uh, let's bring it back to Blockstream. We have a new liquid network. What's this all about? Back to Blockstream. Here we go. They have put out something else. Uh, a, they put out a sidechain called the Liquid Network. Uh, they are saying it's the first ever sidechain. They are lying. It's not. Uh, but they <laughs> uh, maybe it's like the first one that really caught on or something. I don't know. But there are there are definitely other side chains that have existed for uh, for Bitcoin. Um, I, I don't know where they're getting that metric. But this is basically a side chain that is specifically for like brokers, market makers, exchanges, financial institutions, like massive, massive groups of transactions. So what we just talked about, how long it's going to take to go from exchange to exchange. If an exchange adopts the liquid network, then it's not going to take that long. It's going to be very, very, very fast. The liquid network is basically Blockstream's own centralized uh, network with, that will back up Bitcoin on a one-to-one basis so that you can load it onto the liquid network, send it among anybody in the liquid network, and then put it back on the Bitcoin block blockchain when you're ready for it on uh, another one-to-one basis. Oh, that's a lot more interesting than I thought when I was reading this originally. That, what is, that's, that kind of, it, it has a little bit of a feel of Stellar to it, right? Uh, kind Stellar opens up like the trust 
trust nodes and that kind of thing. Um, it, it's using a gateway is what it's called to create the side chain. I, I understand how that works with smart contracts, like, like with WETH and Ethereum and how it locks up the one to one and then creates it. So my guess is here, I, it, it's going to read no, what's right, no, sitting this, in your wallet. Is, I can explain it to you. Okay. Or this is the way I'm interpreting it. Um, this is like, like a poker site and all these people can put and deposit all this Bitcoin on this site and it allows them to freely move it between exchanges and you can basically like just point and click where you want your yeah, credits to it's go. It's a bank. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, Blockstream has created like a little bank for people. So the institutional investors or, or the institutions here of the exchanges and all that are basically trusting a Blockstream sidechain to update transactions correctly and track balances correctly. Um, and because of this, it makes everything basically instant and they don't have to put all these block uh, transactions on the blockchain. So it's a lot easier, removes a lot of the fees, takes 50 to 60% just on the exchanges that have signed up. They account for 50 to 60% of Bitcoin transactions daily. So it pulls them off of the, uh, off of the actual blockchain. And keeps them compartmentalized inside this Blockstream uh, centralized environment. They call it federated. But uh, <clears throat> so I have a question for you. I mean, it's not it's not really a hypothetical, but like I share and perhaps even have more disdain for banks that, than you do. But I they still serve like having an entity that functions like a bank is still can still be very useful. And not everybody has to use it for everything. And um, you know, I'm not. I understand like there's definitely concentration powers and all that stuff, centralization powers. I get that. But, you know, if somebody can offer a service where they hold a bunch of crypto and it makes it easier for you to move your crypto around and on top of that, they're like going to take a bunch of traffic off of uh, blockchains then and people who want a centralized situation or are benefiting enough are going to do it. Like it just seems like a positive development, you know, like banks are still pretty useful. It's just we happen to live in a point in time that they've abused their role. Sure. And, and they may end up abusing us. Here's what, here's when this is actually going to be tested. Cause right now it just makes perfect sense. Like, okay, the exchanges should want to do this. Um, this will be tested when something goes wrong, when there is an incorrect balance and it's found out, when there is a problem and it's found out. Are the exchanges that are now saying, wait, I'm supposed to have this much money, but now I have this much money? What are you doing? Are they going to pass that on to the consumer or are they going to take that risk themselves? Um, I don't understand. I thought Blockstream was backing this entire venture. Okay. Or is Blockstream going to take that? Yeah, this is a private – this seems to me like a private business. This seems to me like Blockstream is saying we are essentially going to be in legal binding business contracts where they're – That's great. But Blockchain's missing 500 Bitcoin for Yobit. And Yobit's like, whoa, Blockstream's not giving this to us. And they're like, no, we don't think it's right. And Yobit's like, yeah, here it is. Here's the proof. And they're like, whatever, come get us. Well, now, I mean, now, what do you do in the meantime? There's ledgers for this. That, that's what the blockchain no, is for. No, no, no. Blockstream is complete. This, I'm sorry. I, I missed that part. But they use confidential transaction technology. Only the sender and receiver know the information about the amount of the transaction. So you actually cannot verify this stuff on a ledger. Then... To me, yeah, then that makes this even more like a bank or or like a DraftKings or a poker site yeah, or this like is traditional <clears throat> business. Like, what does a traditional business do when another traditional business tries to screw them out of money? 
Well, they have you to go through a legal process. Way. Yeah. But like, what does the exchange do for their users in the meantime? What what users? The, the, the exchange's user was Blockstream if Blockstream no. was acting as the intermediator. If I'm using Yobit and Yobit loses so much money in this that it affects their day-to-day operation, they don't have 500, bit po- 500 Bitcoin because what of this, you, what happens? Right. Hold on a second. I just want to understand. The way that this works is... I deposit my money with Blockstream. Mike deposits his money with Blockstream. I can then access my account, and in this giant pool of money, if I say, hey, I want to put this money on this exchange, <clears throat> that exchange will credit me, right? Those kinds of business relationships are usually going to be credited on a daily basis. So the like you're saying that on a particular day, maybe Blockstream can have a situation where they're not paying anybody else, but it's not like... like how would this accumulate to the point that it's going to bring down the entire exchange? The Imagine a very large transaction that goes awry. And we can't verify this, uh, this group with anybody outside of the Blockstream Federated, whatever they're using to do it, right? So yeah, Blockstream loses business. Great, right. but here, it, you, need to, you need to let me finish this. I don't, I don't understand yeah, yeah. how you're not catching this. Yobit, let's say, has a 500 Bitcoin transaction that they say they're owed 500 Bitcoin from a process, it's not in their balance, either from a hack or from a mistake. And they're like, look, guys, I don't know what's going on, but Blockstream won't give us our 500 Bitcoin. And they're like, in the meantime, we cannot, you know, I, they, may, they may say, okay, we're just going to take care of these funds and we'll go after Blockstream ourselves. But they may not be able to handle that. And they may pass that on to the consumer. And the consumer is not... consumer, though. Right? No, no. Because they they have a pool of all the Bitcoin on their site. So the consumers on the site are not consenting to use this private blockchain, basically. And, but Yobit is or whatever. They, actually, Yobit, I don't even think was one of the ones. I know um, okay, so the uh, Bitfinex is. Okay, so the exchange is responsible because they're engaging in the service if they don't the, have any In theory, the exchanges are responsible for hacks as well. But they in the in the past, they've not done the right thing with hacks for the most so part this is some not of them really do. any different it's not like it's not creating a new dynamic is what i'm saying they're create they're taking an extra risk that the consumer doesn't know about if you think you're transacting with crypto you think that it's provable on a ledger and if something happens at least you can investigate the hack or you can investigate what's going on and try to find the culprit if they just say no blockstream owes us money and they're not giving it to us you don't have that extra layer of protection. The user would have already had the money, though. What? No, not necessarily. Not if the sh- exchange shuts down. Okay. I, I'm telling you, I see a future where something goes wrong with this, and we have to see how the exchange that gets screwed handles it. Okay. So my response is I, I, don't, I don't see your argument on this, Brent, because it, the way I look at this, there are massive amounts of large transactions that occur internationally every day. And there probably are some errors, but I don't know what that looks like in a big business sense. I think the world just transacts in the way that it's supposed to. And I think in a situation like this, I've had errors on my own bank account and I don't make giant transactions. Like things have appeared in my bank account that are not accurate accounts. These are like, they're yes, being run by the it's same ledger. Harder for a bank to micromanage an individual checking account than it is to manage a you know a much massive you know business account. I There's less people that need to be involved. In I don't that. know of any institutional screw ups or whatever, but I'm sure they exist. But we're also talking about brand new ledger technology that has just been released. So 
This isn't even the same as institutional banking keeping track of the way that they're keeping track. This is Blockstream created this environment to track Bitcoin and these exchanges are accepting it based on seeing what they see. But if there's here's my entire point of this is what happens when there's a problem is Blockstream going to front that money? Are the exchanges going to front that money? Are they going to pass it? Like, where does the problem stop? This, and that's this, what I'm worried about. This is part of your decision that uh, this is part of your thought process when it comes to deciding which exchanges you sh- which exchanges. Nobody's going to know which exchanges do this or don't. Listen, I, this is, no, but you know, Brent, I think you vastly in- underestimate how many large exchanges do not have custody of their own assets already. I think a vast majority of them do not, including Binance. I bet Binance has a custody agreement with another outsourced company that helps regulate and manage all of the security details of that. Like this, there are companies that that do that. I don't know, but that sounds completely baseless. I've never heard that Binance is not controlling their own funds. Okay, look, to go back to the original point here, um, I understand that some things could go wrong. But number one, this, this is where the positives of traditional systems work. Blockstream is a company that's based in San Francisco. Yes, their errors can happen and they have, they're going to have different alternatives of how to solve it. But being a company that exists in San Francisco, they're not going to be able to just take $500 million and make them disappear and have an exchange, uh, just shut down. Like, yes, you know, you are. Now Gox people are getting their money back too, but it's just taken six years. One more thing though. When you're depositing money into UBIT, you're saying if you deposit money into UBIT, you don't know that UBIT has a relationship with Blockstream. That's fine. What, but I think one of the points that Mike's making is you don't know a lot of the relationships that any of these exchanges have behind the scenes. All we know is whether or not you trust the exchange and whether or not you trust the exchange to front money if something goes wrong. That's the ultimate decision and the only one that matters. There are certain exchanges that I do trust a little bit and there are certain exchanges that I don't trust at all. That's kind of independent from this private enterprise or project that can have a lot of benefit and has a lot of attack vectors but is like i don't know it just it still seems like a thing that can solve some problems and just because it has a possible negative outcome well most regular businesses do when this comes up and happens we're going to remember this conversation and how prophetic brent was okay fair enough and when it doesn't happen we'll just ignore it and you won't have a convenient argument to stand on (laughs) no it may never happen no, even if it specifically happens and gets solved and I give Brent the article, he's going to like he'd be like, well, oh, hold on a second. Look at this grammatical error here. That's grammatical <laughs> error out the window. <laughs> uh, All right, Brent. So this next this next topic I'm very interested in because it involves a cruise, Charlie Lee and Roger Ver and your opinion on this situation. I can't think of anyone more qualified on the globe. So <laughs> yes. Opinion. All right. Roger Veer and Charlie Lee were on a cruise. So there's a video of the cruise, and I knew it was a cruise before I even read into it. Now, given there was a giant thing in the background that said it was a cruise, but there was also a table that was clearly a cruise table. I've seen them a million times, and the same fucking chairs, like they're on every cruise ship. So uh, I knew they were on a cruise, right? They were in like the schooner bar, basically, sitting there with a little backdrop behind them. Uh, or they took the chairs and table from a schooner bar and put them somewhere else. But um, so they they were uh, they were chilling on a cruise and they started a little debate. Started a little debate. Um, first thing I will say is my overall impression of the debate is Charlie Lee is not a good live debater. 
he was like sitting there kind of with his arms folded like in the corner like all up like this and he was responding to things like looking away he wasn't looking at the camera roger is all like man spreading and macho and, and like yelling and being like super alpha so like if you were watching the debate without knowing anything you would think roger won just because of his like uh body language um he was just simply better at what he was doing um so let's talk about the actual content of what they were doing uh they they started talking about this the lightning network and roger was focused that he's like oh yeah well tell me why there was a bitcoin lightning network node called roger veer and nobody would connect to it and charlie's like what and he laughs and he's like that was a joke like somebody they they made their network on the lightning network and then didn't connect anybody to make a joke and post it and he's like oh yeah well nobody connected to the roger veer one and he's like yeah because the roger veer didn't connect to anybody they they can't refuse a connection in the lightning network he just didn't whoever was running that node did it to be a joke and he's like okay all right well we'll move on from that then and like and, and he kept pushing the issue but charlie lee is like Dude, it's a joke. And he's like, and if it wasn't a joke and people didn't want to connect to you in Bitcoin, it wouldn't be surprising. But he said it in a very – he said it in a very – it was – I said it more eloquently a little bit there. But that's what the point that he got across. So uh, so they're going through it and and Roger's next point, not totally wrong on. Uh, he says Bitcoin is not cheap. Uh, it is not a, ch- a cheap peer-to-peer transaction solution. Uh, he's, he's trying to say it's not peer to peer because the lightning network makes it bounce around or whatever, but, uh, he's saying 50 cents is too much for a transaction. I don't necessarily disagree with him if you're trying to use it on an everyday basis. Um, but, uh, then he like turns to the camera in the middle of this after Charlie even kind of admits 50 cents is like a little bit, obviously more than Bitcoin cash turns to the camera and he's like, that's right. If you want to use Bitcoin Cash as a peer-to-peer alternative, make sure to go to Bitcoin.com and and he starts literally like giving an ad to the camera and he's like, ha, I'm really good at advertising. He like says something like that and then he goes back to talking to Charlie Lee. I'm like, what? Uh, so there's no moderator for this debate, obviously. They were just sitting there talking with like a little microphone in between them and they let Roger go crazy. Um, were either of them possibly intoxicated? I don't think so. Uh, Roger definitely wasn't. The story's a lot better if, if I pretend that they're drunk. There was no beers in front of them. Uh, there's a non-zero chance that Charlie could have had something to drink. I'm not sure. Oh, Char- snap, Charlie-, Charlie was plastered. <laughs> Charlie has like a three-quarter empty pita colada next to him. <laughs> uh, so they so they did get they did get into a, a base argument for how to expand. And Roger thought he had Charlie. He's like because Charlie makes a restaurant analysis analogy and he's like, well, it's like a restaurant. Like the what, what what happened to Bitcoin was the restaurant got too popular too quickly and there wasn't enough room for the people. And Roger's like, yeah, so what do you do when a restaurant gets too many people and gets too popular? And, and they both kind of say at the same time, like expand and and Roger's like, yeah, see, I got you. You put more tables in. And Charlie's like, well, yeah, you could put more tables in, but then everybody would be cramped and sitting next to each other and not enjoying their experience. Or you could buy the restaurant next door, renovate it, and put more tables there so that people still have their room to move around and enjoy it. But it's just going to take a little bit longer and it's not going to be instant like throwing more tables and seats in would be. And it's like, oh. (laughs) And so it was a good comparison of – 
uh bitcoin and bitcoin cash i thought um and and that was fun so uh but but lee very clearly states that the that bitcoin got ahead of itself because of how quickly it expanded back in 2017 and he agrees that 2017's fees are way too high and then it goes off the rails, obviously, because it's fucking Roger Veer and he's going to do something ridiculous. So in the middle of this, he basically accuses Charlie Lee, not basically, actually, exactly, accuses Charlie Lee of agreeing with Segwit and the Lightning Network because it made Litecoin look better. He was like, oh, it's funny that you su- you uh, support these things that are worse for Bitcoin when you have Litecoin as your your network and it makes it look better and he's just like what like he didn't respond to it and like he almost like kind of brushes it off and he's like what the f- like what and and i was just like of course like that i was actually enjoying a little bit of a back and forth that roger made some good points charlie made some good points and then he just goes and does that <laughs> the one thing that like stood out to me in your in your uh in your response there just like it was painful to you to be nice to Roger for so long in that I could tell like, like he deserved to be credited at several points in this article. And you, you knew that and you did, the, you did it the right way, but it hurt you every bit, yeah. every second it happened. Uh, yeah. This is like, this seems like a mismatch as far as moderating goes or like debates, you know, yeah. this would be like me and Kareem debating like, you know, economics. Anything. <laughs> no, I want Kareem to debate Roger Ver. I want Roger Ver to get on here and d- try to fuck with Kareem. He wouldn't have a shot. Roger, like I said, I'd fight with Yobit, but we're we're not. We can put up like an autistic child and beat Yobit. Kareem is who we're gonna put up against you, and you've got no chance against Kareem. I think Roger Ver knows a little bit more about Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash than I do. Yeah, but you can debate better than him and you'll crush him. Uh, all we got to do is give you like a day to research whatever your points are, and he's got no shot. So, Roger, if you think you could beat Kareem, email us, CryptoBasicPodcast at gmail.com, and come on here and we'll put you, guys, put you guys in the ring. We'll have a moderator of your choosing. I'll start holding my breath now. <laughs> Finally, the end result of all of this is Charlie Lee and... Roger Veer make a bet. They don't bet any money, unfortunately. They Roger tries to do a thousand dollars, and Charlie's like, "I don't care about money, man. Like, I don't want to bet money." So they bet like who has to wear a shirt on and say they are wrong. Basically, they have to put up a video wearing a shirt of the opposition and say that they are wrong. Uh, the bet was. Oh. That's way more painful to Roger than money. This like Charlie won that. Yeah, yeah. By, he, by Charlie clearly got two to one on this bet. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. at least. So I mean. My question is: Does do you think Roger pays us off if he loses? I well, guess what? We can find out because he's already lost. So the bet was that the Lightning Network would not have a thousand merchants accepting it within eighteen months, because at the time that they were talking on the cruise, which is like a week ago or a little bit more than that, maybe uh, the Lightning Network did not have very much adoption from merchants. But Charlie even said as they were making the bet, he's like, well, there is like a payment processor that's about to start accepting it. And I don't know how many merchants they have or whatever. And Roger's like, whatever, thousand, thousand merchants. I, let's bet that in 18 months, it doesn't have a thousand merchants. Well, that payment processor is called CoinGate and they have partnered with 4,000 merchants. So like 
Now, given they have to still be with these people in 18 months based on the way that they made the bet. Like, it was very clear that the adoption still had to be happening in 18 months. Right. But Charlie Lee has already won the bet. So he's got a hold. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's got, got a hold unless it regresses. Okay, hey, listen, you got a hold. When you got a hold, you got a hold. So, right. yeah, I, I was going to say which side of the bet do we like because when I originally put this in the notes and then I realized, like, he already lost. So it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would have, I'm kind of shocked it wasn't a thousand already. And I think if adding 18 months, I just, like, how could you not think a thousand merchants internationally? In an additional eighteen months from now, I, that just seems like but, how many does Bitcoin Cash have? Like that—that that should have been his argument. Like what he thinks it's superior. Like what? What are they doing better in that department? Well, he kind of announced that they were going to be doing something soon. Like I—I I, I know it was like a couple days ago. He's saying like within the year they'll be accepted in all these whatever. The actual answer is how could he not see this? Is cognitive dissonance like? To him, Bitcoin Cash is superior in every way, and everybody will see it eventually, so it doesn't matter. And he's just going to keep pushing it everywhere that he goes and talk about it and everything that he does. And that Bitcoin's going to be nothing by the time in 18 months. Like, that's literally what's going on in his mind. I was about to literally go into a small rant that with people like this, uh, sometimes you feel really like they're always fully cognizant. But like, no, after a while, you start believing your own shit, you know, like even if you didn't believe all of it at first, you can't repeat the same thing over and over. Like, it's kind of like Alex Jones or whatever. It's like, is that person putting on a show? Yeah, he's like putting on a show, but also he's been doing this every day for 20 years. Like after a while, you just become that, you know. So I do think that Roger Ver probably has some big blind spots when it comes to Bitcoin because his bias is so massive. Yeah, Brent, you actually made an excellent point. Uh, it, he probably does think that Bitcoin barely will be a thing in 18 months. That makes way more sense than anything else in this. So in his eyes, he's probably far from, from lost this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I bet you that if somebody confronted him and was like, Hey, you already lost Charlie. He's like, what are you talking about? Bitcoin is not going to be, they're not going to have that in 18 months because they're going to be dead or whatever. Like he's, he's the, I, I, without being inside of his head, the way he feels is probably that once Bitcoin Cash takes over Bitcoin, which is inevitable, that uh, Bitcoin just disappears into nothing. And, you know, that, whereas I think it's very unlikely that Bitcoin Cash will ever take over Bitcoin and that uh, and that if the Bitcoin Cash community could just get behind the fact that it has some very clear advantages over Bitcoin and stick with that and try to be a different coin rather than pretending to be Bitcoin, then they would be much better off. I think probably most of them do or are, right? Like, there's not, like... No, the community as a whole is still very much behind the we are the real Bitcoin message. Yeah. So, and and we we have a good friend that talks a lot about Bitcoin Cash, and it is easily his least favorite part of the community, like, when we talk about it. And he's like, look, there are... I understand the point that they're making, but yeah, they need to get away from that. So, so the, the more... Uh, I think reasonable the people are, the more likely they're to ignore the whole we're the real Bitcoin thing, but... Uh, community as a whole is still on message with that. Like, yeah, I mean, that's been my problem. And, I, and I've said this to this individual directly that, you know, he's the exact reason I've kept such an open mind with Bitcoin Cash, because all the evidence that, you know, our research has presented has been, you know, that it is just a, a separate entity that has this, you know, interesting guy with a loud voice that wants to be heard very often. And, you know, I don't want to hold that, you know, against the community as as a fault because you know, it's out of their control at this point. 
But yeah, at the same time, that is one of my huge hesitations in, you know, even giving them a chance. It, it is somewhat in their control. Like if Craig Wright was like, you know what, guys, I'm coming back to Bitcoin and I like Bitcoin and I'm going to be part of the Bitcoin community. They'd be like, oh, fuck yourself. Like, we're, no, now everybody in the, the Bitcoin community is going to tell you how stupid Craig Wright is, no matter what he says. And if the Bitcoin cash community kind of got behind the fact that Roger is insane, then maybe that would be better for them. But at the same time, he is massively marketing, promoting and and out there in a debate talking to the camera going buy bitcoin cash at bitcoin.com is he different than ty lopez like honestly yeah. <laughs> uh, i i'm gonna give him more credibility than, than ty lopez i am because I, I, double die i agree yeah ty lopez is is basically just kind of scamming people with dreams like the the guy like yeah i i, I have a serious problem with all those like modern day like it's not really multi-level marketing, but they're selling you on how to sell people on how to sell people on a dream kind of thing. Like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to teach people how to teach people how to teach people to how be to millionaires. Rich. We're all going to get rich. Yeah. Turtles all the way down. All right, guys. Let's move on to crypto around the world. <laughs> All right. Originally, we talked about this on the the our cryptocurrency thing on Tuesday. Mike, this one's on you. Government of South Korea is doing some uh, crypto endorsing here. Tell us about it. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty interesting article. And like you said, we discussed this uh, on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. in the our cryptocurrency Discord server every week, uh, Eastern time. So basically, it was a it was a dive into South Korea and kind of what they're doing blockchain related. And um, I was actually a little surprised to learn that they were the 11th largest economy. That was kind of something that stood out to me as something I would not have expected. Um, but they, as a nation, they they committed a hundred million dollars to develop the the capital um, Seoul. Did I get that one right? Yeah. Seoul, all right. Seoul, yeah. So, uh, as the, the center of these, you know, blockchain networks and, um, the governor is Park Won Soon and he visited Switzerland last week, which we now know is Zug, Switzerland. The Z-U-G is Zug. Oh, yeah, we should have uh, said that in announcements. Yeah. We got that one wrong. Right, right. We got that one wrong and, and we, we got, got chewed out. We deserved it. And I apologize to the Swiss, but, uh, it won't happen again. So, so the governor, from South Korea went to Switzerland and basically, you know, worked a lot with the crypto network over there. And they're building with that hundred million dollars, they're building two very large complex districts in, um, Western and Southeastern South Korea with the intentions of accommodating 200 companies that are crypto and blockchain related. And then on top of that, they want to have two training centers within these buildings that are going to have over 700 experts that are training people on blockchain technology strictly. So I think like that sounds like a massive thing for a government to basically be putting up. Um, and basically where are they implementing it? And I found this kind of interesting. So they divided it into five areas and they're going to implement it in 14 ways in these five areas. Um, and the five areas were labor welfare, vehicle history management, certification issuance, donation management, and elections voting. Ooh, elections. That is a really good five places to start as far as I'm concerned. Nothing stands out to me as, you know, these are all things that are that are easy solutions to blockchain 
relatively speaking, of course. And, you know, there was a quote from uh, from Park where he said, there's no doubt blockchain is the core technology of the fourth industrial revolution, which will shape the future IT industry. And honestly, I have to agree completely. I think this is very interesting, very fascinating. Yeah, they also started to reduce uh, t- to like kind of back off their stance on ICOs. I think they are uh, they're they're getting a little bit more ICO friendly and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, Korea is going to be a very interesting player to watch. Just another country that looks like they are more situated to take advantage of this than the United States. So, what are our our blockchain capitals? Our 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 Zoom? Switzerland and South Korea seem to be the Malta. national leaders, in my opinion. Malta, I would like to see. Like I said, on, on <laughs> Kareem Twitter, hates Malta. <laughs> no, I don't hate Malta, but I don't think that you can compare countries that are really like um, incentivizing like entrepreneurial growth in this area compared to somebody who's just providing like really good tax incentives or lax regulations. So again, if companies like um, like I, let's take IOHK, which is in Hong Kong, right? But let's say companies like IOHK um, are developing, then yes, I would say that's awesome. Malta is going to be a part of the future. But if Malta's role is, hey, anybody who's moving money around, you could just open your exchange here because we're going to be like the Cayman Islands where all the money of the world gets moved around, but we're not really contri- – like we're just taking a little cut of that smaller cut that you would take back in Europe or the US, then I don't really consider that providing a lot of value to the space, except for the fact that we do need some jurisdiction to take him in. So I guess while while it uh, stabilizes, it's good. I would say I think Germany has been pretty blockchain friendly. Um, Hong Kong, definitely. I mean, a lot of the exchanges are based in Hong Kong. So uh, the, uh, the only thing that I would say is really blockchain friendly in the US is that we have Coinbase. I mean, we have a lot of companies here, but like Coinbase is the biggest thing that we've produced so far. Look, they haven't tried to like, they haven't tried to stop the ownership of these assets, which they could have. We experienced in poker that the government will straight up just try to block you sometimes. We, uh, they've allowed Coinbase, Gemini. Um, there's, you know, look, the US is not doing as well as we would like. And part of the reason is because, again, I think we did excellent in the past. So when you look at what happened with the internet and everything like that, the United States did great. And right now, I don't think it's doing awful, but I don't think it's doing great. So for those of us that are into the space, it just sucks because we're like, come on, we have so much potential. We could be right up there. Uh, so, but I don't think we're doing awful, awful. So Brent, what is- Oh, your- and Wyoming. <laughs> and Wyoming, Yes. <laughs> Brent, you're going to plan the uh, the crypto around the world uh, world tour, right? Oh, yeah. We got to get that crypto around the world world tour going at some point. Yeah, we'll look for that on Kickstarter someday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, uh, hey, look, if I'm going to Switzerland, I'm going to need like at least $100,000. I don't know. Hey, I- listen, just a heads up. Uh, it's going to be the crypto around the world tour, but it's going to end up just being places Brent really wants to go to. It's like, <laughs> wait, why are you going to this island? There's not even a crypto project. No, no, no. I am. Uh, uh, I'm wearing a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, Brent, uh, you're next up. You got a little interesting tidbits from Prague. Yeah, this is Explain your biases. This is super quick. I love Prague. That's the only reason I included this in the show is that like one of my favorite places that I've been to was Prague. So the Czech Republic apparently has uh, more crypto ATMs per citizen than any other country in the world. 
And also fun anecdote about Prague. Uh, JJ wanted to pronounce it when she was asking me if I where I was or whatever, and she called it Pagu. 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 I mean, that's a kind of phonetical pronunciation. It's like <laughs> if you skip the R. <laughs> Uh, are you allowed to disclose why Prague was one of your favorite locations? Yeah, yeah. Uh, dude, Prague was like, first of all, it was super cheap. Um, second, it was le- like, I stayed in an area that was uh, like the old Jewish quarter in in the war. And what they did with all these bars was they kind of left them the way they were. Like the buildings were like destroyed. So they call them ruin bars where they put bars in these old like fucked up buildings and they don't renovate them too much. Like they they renovate them just enough to put a bar in there. So you're walking around like there, and there's some rubble. There's like some broken broken walls. Maybe that's where Americans love for dive bars originated. Yeah. Uh, and I am fucking uh, fuck. All right. Hold on a second. I'm ju- I'm describing hungry. So <laughs> uh, what uh, timestamp do you have right now? <laughs> 110? No, please. Put that in the front. No, 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 no. That's that's oh, bad. No, no, no. Oh, wait. Hold on a second. I messed up Spanish. You could talk about it for 18 episodes, but you get the wrong country, and you're like, oh, oh I edit that out. Everybody. Wait, I, I don't know why. What do you say? I didn't even hear what he said. No, I was just describing the wrong fucking country for no reason. He got mad at himself because he started describing the wrong country. No, all this stays in, Jason, and you could actually throw it in the front. So, <laughs> anyway, Mike, you continue to move on. We got a new Esperanto moment. <laughs> <laughs> Brent messes up. He immediately wants to go to the edit. Oh, timestamp. Call the editor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the actual reason I uh, I enjoyed Prague. Still cheap, still awesome. Hold on a second. Prague, you know which one we're talking about, right? Not yeah, hungry. I'm very, very aware which one we're talking about. Uh, Prague had one oh, of the- Oh, you said hungry. I thought you were actually hungry. No, no, no. Hungry. He was describing- <laughs> I was describing Budapest. <laughs> Oh my god, I was so I was so kind of confused. Like I knew something was messed up, but that makes sense. I just better. randomly was going on about why I like Budapest instead of why I like Prague. Now I went to them kind of back to back and they're like very close to each other, but uh no, the Prague had the coolest bar that I've ever been to. It was this like thing where you had to like go down underground and it was called like the Wolf Bar or something. They they also had another cool bar that I've been to called an, uh, anonymous, but the the Wolf Bar like I I went you go like downstairs into this like cavernous area and then there's like a giant foosball pit like and when i say giant foosball pit there's like 12 foosball tables and people are standing three deep watching the people play foosball i've never seen anything like it and then you go to the next room and it looks like a tree house so there's people like up in the rafters because there's like a there's like a little uh, ladder that you can go like climb into this tree house and then you can get into like other parts of the tree house where you can watch like a stage where they have a show and it's all like in this area called the wolf bar because there's these ginormous dogs. Like if they were to put their hind legs up, be like eight feet tall, uh, walking around the place, like four or five of them. And you just like, they don't give a shit that you're there. You can like touch them. They don't care. And they just roll around and do their thing. And, uh, and I specifically remember we had just got there and I didn't know, like what kind of the I didn't know what things cost yet. Like we got there, checked into the hostel, which was cheap. They all are. And then we went out to this place that we had been suggested and they made you put money on an RFID chip before you went in. And we each put $50 on there because like we don't know what we're going to spend on beers. Like I assume they're like four or five dollar beers, right? They looked at us like, are you fucking insane? And it turns out like beers were basically like less than a dollar at the at this like 
sweet ass club where you, you were there. Uh, ju- uh, just me and Lanib. So it was two people, and okay. and, and they killed the fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just I just like imagining like a foreigner, like a like a foreigner coming into an American bar, and like they're just like. They're like order a beer and hand like five hundred dollars. They're like, <laughs> no, not even. They just pull out a block of gold. Uh, Captain Morgan. It's like a ten k brick from the bank. They're like, eh. <laughs> oh, I must dip. He just throws a hundred. <laughs> yeah. So that that uh, right, was follow up cool. question, Brent. Do you support authoritarian regimes that edit propaganda to make themselves look better, like they don't make mistakes? Yeah, of course. That? You know why? Because. Donald Trump called well, me about not. three hours ago, and he told me. I was me, talking about Trump. I was talking about Philbin for the record audience. And Donald Trump called me three again. hours ago, and he told me I need to I knock this Russian motherfucker out. Remember what I said, Mike? Because Remember? he's making him look bad with Putin and shit. Ninety plus percent, right here. This guy. I mean, I don't know where he's on yeah, your screen. He, well, you're on. You're two to the right. He's one to the right. So I should go like this. Him. So no, you should or point the other like, way. This guy. That guy. Yeah, that guy. guy. You this know what's guy. funny though. On my screen, this is you. So oh, I'm like, no. playing, you're like, ah, oh, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> oh, but it, we're recording Brent's screen, right? Nobody's so, pointed no, at me no. yet. The whole time we could have pointed at each other. Well, I must have pointed at you. <laughs> that guy. All right, let's continue. <laughs> I think we're dragging what, North Dakota. <laughs> I mean, Wyoming. God, get, get it right. Uh, so the next thing we were going to talk about is Bitfinex uh, suspending the fiat deposits and a Bitcoin sell-off that uh mike was checking out this morning all right so this was kind of a last minute addition of the flagship shout out to uh all right so you you know how degenerate brahman has been one of our favorite guys for the longest time well i don't know if this was a change that i didn't notice the whole time or if this has been a change but his new name he added what i believe is his real name at the end but it's now degenerate there's it's not degenerate it's degenerate brahman so shout out to him our, our Ooh, correspondent uh, from India. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if it's always been that way. We just like yeah, no, skipped because it. he he did change his name a little bit, and now I, I I noticed a letter missing. I wonder if it was on accident or or maybe degen rate is like a uh, a rate of something. I don't know. Well, the degenerate. most likely scenario is we filled it in like in our minds because we've seen the word degenerate so many yeah, times. Yeah, no, no, I actually was sharing that because I thought there was a chance that it was that like that the entire time, and I yeah. never noticed it. Oops. But because he dropped this in and it looked important, I, I did a quick scan before we hit the record button. And basically, Bitfinex is the exchange that is tied with the Tether. We've talked about it quite a bit. Um, they're the exchange that allows um, leverage trading. And, you know, so you can – there's a lot of big players that are trading Bitcoin on Bitfinex. Well, they've had a lot of issues with banks. They've – apparently um, have a checkered past of having to move their funds from banks to banks. Now, since they're associated with Tether, that makes this whole situation with Tether even more difficult than it's been than we've discussed all along. So a couple of things have happened. They had suspected um, that their money had been held in Noble Bank in Puerto Rico. And then recently they announced a permanent banking partner with HSBC Kareem. Where is the HSBC from? They are a British and Hong Kong company that was establishing Hong Kong when it was a colony of Britain. Right, Brent? Yes. So that would make them a British company. (laughs) So uh, I actually have not even looked at uh, CoinMarketCap or anything recently, uh, but I believe there's been a huge drop off. You want me to show you a picture? 
That's the only thing that I've seen. Brent Brent showed a screenshot of like, I don't know, like 10 charts in a row and they all had a cliff. And so apparently we're we're experiencing cliff fall in prices. And what we found the most interesting of this, the people that are trading on Bitfinex were willing to trade at a 2% premium on Bitcoin. And the that it really is unprecedented in an exchange with the amount of volume that that has. And it's it was trading at 2% premium against other exchanges with a clear amount of liquidity, such as Coinbase Pro, Gemini, the others. So it was trading at around 6,300 as opposed to 6,100 and change for a significant amount of time, which raises a lot of red flags. Like, are you know, how insolvent are they? Um, what is their issues? Where are, you know, do they have the money for what they're claiming to have, you know, assets for? Uh, so, it, so basically it's, it's they're, flood, but I don't know. They're like the tether pair where they're moving like out of tether very heavily on that exchange. Basically. I believe they're moving out of tether into Bitcoin. Like, yeah. And I, and Yeesh. I've never used Bitfinex, but I believe there's, there might not even be many other pairs on those i know it's like mostly a bitcoin exchange if not they may only have a couple of coins well they have not, they don't have like 50 coins they, they have an entire second exchange called eth Finex. i don't know that they, they don't accept american customers so i i don't know what um i don't know how it works but yeah i mean that's that's kind of telling that they're willing to to pay a two percent premium on bitcoin when you know you have an easy arbitrage opportunity there and they're not taking it so that is, oh, uh, and I actually totally omitted this part, and I apologize for that. But what the the article was about was they were actually they shut down all fiat deposits for a week, and that was the problem. So now they're stopping the liquidity from coming in because they're having issues with these banks. Even though they one week ago announced a new partnership with a new bank, now they're they currently are closing all fiat deposits for one week, and you know that. Lack of liquidity can, you know, mess up the prices. And I don't know how it works exactly, but I know it's all intertwined. Okay. Well, it's really just something to keep in mind. Yeah. It's really something Take a to look at understand. it. Uh, realize that we've had a lot of bad things to say about Tether, and Tether and Bitfinex are attached. We don't want to say they're owned by the same person. Like, we don't want to say any of that stuff, but we know their fates are very likely intertwined. So keep an eye on this. All right. looks like I'm going to take us to the rant section. So, Brent, you've alluded to this about seven times in this episode. Oh, boy. What are you feeling ranty about? Bitrix is removing Bitcoin private. Woo! Fuck Bitcoin private. <laughs> yep, that's uh, that's the extent of this. They are removing uh, Bitcoin private and Bitcoin gold from their platform. Just real quick, so I just want people to be caught up because they might not, you know, they might not understand that excitement. So, Bitcoin Private was um, the coin that was picked by Brent. It was his first scouting mission into going in depth. He picked it. It's kind of like a Jamarcus Russell kind of thing. First overall <laughs> pick that turns out. Kareem's to be like total. old football references are <laughs> like they never get old. There's so many. Like he could have said Johnny Manziel. <laughs> no, he's no. What's so funny about that is like. 
Because you know I'm not a big baseball fan, but like I played one season of fantasy baseball when I was in high school, and it was an absolute nightmare. But like I just happened to know a lot about everybody the, like, from that year, the yeah. 2004 baseball year. Like I know like all kinds of things that happened. It was yeah. <laughs> Sit around, children. I'll tell you about the Dane and Thomason and Tory Holt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any hoozle. So Brent. So here's what happened. This was really. Brent's first overall pick. I mean, he really went all out on Bitcoin private. Just to give you an idea, he insisted on the rules changing just so he could pick Bitcoin private. after the deadline, too. Delayed the deadline. Literally wouldn't put in his last pick. It was like, you know, when the clock runs out of the NFL draft and it was Brent's turn. And he's like, no, I refuse. But they're like, but your guy doesn't even turn 18. He's not eligible for the draft. And he's like, it doesn't matter. He's my best pick. And then he picked him. And then, like, three days later, he was asking if he could trade him or if he could have another first-round pick. <laughs> and now, by showing disdain for this giant error that is his, he can detach himself from his from his shame. All right, so the audience is caught up. Continue. Brent, actually, I had a quick question before you move on. Uh, did they remove it fast enough to make the top three of your other coins in speed? Oh, I do not think so. No, they did not. So so my only four of my five coins made that top in speed bracket. Bitcoin Private did not. Bitcoin Private, I hate them for duping me. They got me. They, they, they're like those guys that sell you speakers in the parking lot. Like every now and then, you know, somebody that gets got by one of those guys and Bitcoin Private's team got me. They tricked me with what they put out as far as their, their white paper. They tricked me with what they put out with everything. I didn't do my research. And when I did, I realized I fucked up. So as a lesson to everybody, make sure that if you ever realize you screw up, you make sure to yell at the people that made you screw up every Blame second you get. Mistakes. Okay, we have one more question since we're taking this as a learning opportunity. Give us an opportunity. Let us learn together, Brent. So if you didn't do your research, why were you so adamant about picking Bitcoin private? Why didn't you budge in the spirit of compromise for another coin since you had barely looked into this coin in the first place? I had already made my decision. Decision's final. I look. I knew what I wanted. I wanted Z Classic, but they were forking at the time. So I, then I read, and I'm like, "Oh, this is fine. It's going to be good." And Great. it was not. You know what happened? There's Bitcoin, and Brent loves it. There's Bitcoin Cash. Brent doesn't want to love it. Brent coin. Brent wants some privacy. So all it took was Bitcoin Private. It was the literal perfect. It was the perfect name. It was the name that would have gotten Brent no matter what. Your theory has one giant gap in it at the time of this selection. Brent was still a Bitcoin hater. These were more ignorant days for Mr. Brent. <laughs> All right. This, is, this episode's long enough already. Let's move on. Let's move on. Calling call a stop to this. Uh, Bitcoin Gold and Bitcoin Private were actually never traded, I don't think, on Bitfinex. They didn't have pairs. So they were just there so you could get your fork. So, Bitrex, not Bitfinex. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Bitrex. <laughs> Shit. Uh, so... I don't think they were trading on Bitfinex either, but we're discussing Bitrex at this time. Yeah. So uh, they basically – they did the kind of the right thing there and let you get your fork and then cash it out. And they're just saying they're going to close the wallets. Uh, the one, And then they're also taking BitShares off the platform, which kind of makes sense because they're like their own platform and their native tech token technology and that platform makes – I don't know. I guess there just they wasn't really – They Steam too. Yeah, I don't know if there just like wasn't a market for BitShares on uh on Bitrex, but they're taking it off. I'm not sure why. So, um that that got that got the axe with uh Bitcoin Gold and Bitcoin Private. All right, let's move on to the mailbag. 
yeah, Crip Basic, Flagship Friday, you listen to the Mailbag Drop, where we break down a member's thoughts, just starting crypto, don't you stop, keep listening till you hit the spot, Alright, uh, this one's above my pay grade, so I'm just hoping one of you, two of you can answer this. So, uh, also from Degenerate Brahmin, Degenerate Brahmin, <laughs> alright, it says, given the recent IPCC report on global warming, can someone recap that for me? I don't know if, what that is. I'm not 100% sure that this is what he's referencing, but my understanding is that the last report said we're even more screwed than we thought we were. It's coming even faster than we thought it was. From the UN, right? I saw I, I I didn't read an article. I saw some titles. I'm not going to repeat titles. We've learned that on this show. Um, all right. So given the recent IPCC report on global warming and the late sell off in the American stock markets, particularly in the tech industry, how would we tackle this differently if blockchain was implemented primarily because an economic crash will happen regardless of blockchain or not? <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I don't. I guess I don't understand when he says, how would we tackle this differently? The the we there can mean a lot of different things. We as an individual investors, how do we prepare for a crash? We as a society, how do we limit the damage of a crash or as a government? I think he's uh, talking we, about the problem of global warming. The way I read that is how do we tackle global warming differently if if using blockchain was more implemented in the process? I don't know if that's something that I had thought about before, to be honest with you. I've heard different solutions to climate change. I think some of them are technological exclusively with trying to reduce carbon pollution. And I think some of them are political and are going to be a little rougher. It's going to like, for example, taxing carbon, which is a very unpopular thing. But since most emissions come from a few companies, it seems like the easiest uh, way to do it. But it's, it's an international problem. Look, my guess is that there's a lot of ways in which blockchain could help tackle the problem or play a role in tackling the problem in a more efficient way. But this is a multifactorial problem that is going to require a lot of different solutions. I don't think blockchain in particular. Yeah, it's possible that if it was trackable, if it was like, uh, you know, if you could see where money was being spent to fight global warming, maybe, maybe his implication is that like money that is being allocated there isn't even being spent properly on trying to fight it. Or something of that nature. Uh, and again, I, I'm not sure what's going on there. I, we're not qualified to answer this in any way. Here, here's the answer. You want to fix global warming, just be vegan. It's fine. You're good. <laughs> That's it. That's all you got to do. Trust me. I watched videos. All right. I, I I have a weird answer, but it's the only thing that makes sense to me. Uh, if blockchain is fully implemented and and you know, fully involved in our society, then hopefully the people in charge will be smart enough to understand how blockchain works. And if they're smart enough to understand how blockchain works, hopefully they'll listen to the 98% of scientists that tell them this is a massive problem. That's a good point. Hopefully if we can get them educated on blockchain, we can get them educated on basic chemistry. Yeah, I, I I can actually agree with that. If, if we're using a lot more blockchain technology in a certain area, it is possible that the people in that area are more likely to listen to reason. Um, and and also, if it's very clear where the money is coming in from lobbying and or the, the big companies that are causing the biggest problem with the global warming, maybe uh, maybe the accountability will matter a little bit. All right, guys, I think it's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Friday Flagship. 
Anything else? Any closing words for the listeners, gentlemen? The members of the Crypto Basic Podcast are not financial advisors. Also, I'm not going to be here next week. I'm going to take some vacation time, but you got Mike and Brent. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode.